Welcome back to another episode of Too Legit. Once again, my name is Anna, aka Anna Mission. And I'm Kelsey Jandok. I go by KJ, aka Cage the Doer. This is a podcast for non traditional law students with non traditional backgrounds. Our goal of this platform is to encourage and to give those who are thinking about law school or who are already in law school some tips and tricks on how to navigate the legal profession in a strategic way, of course. If you listened to our last few episodes, you know that I was a former registered nurse. And that I am a serial entrepreneur and a former flight attendant. Yes. So typically we have a structure of how we map out these episodes. But today we got a special guest. So we have to do it a special way. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to introduce our fellow classmate, Anna DeLasse. AKA A1. Say what's up. Hey, what hey. up? I know you see it. <laughs> little inside joke. Hi, everyone. Hi, Anna. Thank you for being here today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. So, so Anna, we just wanted to have, like, I don't know, just like a, a girl fireside chat, just like <laughs> episode where it's just, you know, we're girls or law students just talk about, mm-hmm. like, the state of law and law school and everything that we're going through since, you know, we're like in the thick of law school right now and just everything's coming down. And I feel like it's important that we as women in this profession have like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just have like a link, have, just have a a connection to one another because the challenges that we face might not be the challenges that typical students in our face, especially as people of color. So yeah, I just wanted to chat with you and see where you're in. Just do like a quick little check-in. Is that all right? right? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah. But before we get into like our fireside chat, um, just give the people a little bit background of your non-traditional background of, you know, where you're from and, you know, what you did before law school and what led you to law school. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm Anna. I'm almost 30, I think. I can't tell. Days kind of blur together. It sure do. um, (laughs) It sure do. I was born in 1991. You do the math. Um, My family, I'm a first generation um, person in America. My family originated from Haiti. I am the youngest of five. Um, I am the only one in my family so far to graduate with a bachelor's degree and go on to seek higher education. So I am in a very lonely space. can't ask my family for any sort of advice other than um, what they tend to give me, which is like spiritual encouragement and guidance like that. Um, prior to coming to law school, I served six plus years in the military on active duty with the Air Force. I was an ammo troop. If you went ammo, you know how the rest of that saying goes. Um, I traveled all over the world, did just nonstop work with the Air Force. I was a training instructor in which I trained over 25,000 soldiers, sometimes annually about sexual assault prevention and bystander training. Um, I also participated in SABC, which is our form of survival basic care training in a deployed war zone. And it can also be used stateside stateside in matters of um, natural disasters. So I trained in that. And then lastly, I trained in CPR for adults and kids. And I did that I want to say like the last year and a half while I was on active duty before I got out. And um, I've always had a love of teaching, but 
haven't had a chance to use it until I got into law school. So now that I'm in law school, I'm currently working um, with the Access, the Academic Resource Center. I'm their TA this um, semester, this year it feels like. And um, I'm involved with that and helping students understand, you know, kind of how to navigate the law school space. And what's so cool about the ARC is what we call it, is that a lot of the students, while anyone can go for help there, a lot of the students that we see happen to be minority, non-traditional, and, um, you know, students of color. So in my mind, that's exactly where I need to be focusing on helping um, them through as I find a way to navigate my way through. Kind of how I got to the law, though, is that um, my parents, um, well, until my sophomore year of college, um, they, my mom just became a citizen and um, both my parents until then had a third grade education. Wow. And so um, as a non-educated person or only having a third grade education, you can imagine just how many times they would have been taken advantage of. And um, we had a legal foreclosure happen on our house. Went to the courthouse and my older sister would translate. And of course, I'm just trying to figure out who are all the players, what's going on. Um, and then, you know, the, the judge obviously gave us, he noted, he noticed that my parents didn't have all the skills and they didn't have representation and they didn't know what was really going on. So he gave the instructions, my sister translated, and then between her and I, we would just go through and see what kind of paperwork was needed, what kind of follow-up was needed. If we needed to get like an attorney, how would we do that? And from there, I just had this inclination of like how the barriers that we have to accessing justice is just so that in and of itself before you ever get to court is an, is a, is a battle that a lot of folks will face. Um, finding competent representation, culturally competent representation is a big deal for me. Um, and so that's, that is what catapulted me into being interested in the law. But what actually got me into the law was my sisters and I for a time were, um, taken away from our parents and we were put in the foster care system for a short amount of time. And we were mistreated by our foster parents because at the time Oklahoma had a shortage on um, folks who were volunteering to be foster families. And the ones that were agreeing to take in a large amount of kids to keep them together, uh, they were just had such a backlog of vetting that a couple of families or foster families just fell through the cracks. And um, I'll never forget, we had just a terrible time. We weren't allowed to drink water out of the the faucet. We had to drink it out of the toilet. My sister would, was beaten because she would pee the bed because she would hear people arguing and she just, you know, that just was a trigger for her. And then the last final straw for me was um, we weren't allowed to use the shower. So every morning, you know, after eating breakfast out of the dog bowl, we would go over to the faucet and we would use the water there to kind of take care of ourselves. Well, one day, um, the thing I didn't like about child services not back then is that they would announce when they were coming. So that gave enough notice to parents to like pull their crap together and make it seem like a semi-decent yeah. environment. So they told their eldest son to take us out to the backyard and hose us down like they did the dog. And I'll never forget the oldest boy reached for my sister's shirt and told her to get undressed, which they had never done before. I mean, they would just take us outside and hit us with the hose and We'd just be there in soaking clothes and, you know, that's, that's what it was. Um, but this time it was different. And um, 
he lunged for her and I lost my mind. <laughs> and I told him, don't touch her. And he's like, I'm not going to ask her again. And then he lunged for her again. And him and I just fought. Um, and my sister, it was enough time for my sisters to get away and run down the street to get some help. And that night we had an emergency removal from the home. And there was an attorney who came and spoke to us and how he was going to be appointed our child advocate at the time, our child attorney. And he said that, you know, he would he would stay with us. He would give us whatever we needed. He would take us to and from the hospital. We actually never did get placed in another home. We stayed in his office or with his wife at the time. So um, he found me under his desk. And I'll never forget because I was nine at the time. And I was under his desk and I was so mad. And he told me the reason why he took this job is because he wanted to make sure that people could heal from the things they couldn't defend themselves from. And so he told me the biggest strength that I could do in the form of forgiveness is to allow someone to fight for me. And then when I could fight for myself, fight for somebody else. So when I saw him as that last offender um, to, to step in for us, to give us a voice in the courtroom, to make sure that everyone involved was held accountable. That was when I knew like, okay, I have this fire inside of me. I have a voice. I'm angry enough and I'm just crazy enough that I could go and, you know, step in for those who feel as though no one's on their side or they're being mistreated and they just need someone to watch over them. And so, um, you know, I've always, to this day, I've tried to look to see who the attorney of record was, but, you know, child cases or China cases are redacted to protect the identity of minors. And so unfortunately those records were sealed and I could never figure out who that attorney is, but who I am today is because of that man. And because he allowed us to have a safe space and he was fiery. I mean, he was on fire and um, that's what keeps me up at night is making sure that I'm doing everything I can um, to have the same fire for those who might need the same protections so that's a little about me that's amazing honestly Anna you basically almost have me in tears right now (laughs) (laughs) I hope they're tears of joy you know I I always tell people I I really don't wish my life on others Um, I wish others would have a better life and that my while it might seem sad my victories have always come from places of deep wounds and um, you know deep struggle so I don't I don't trade that for anything, you know, that's, that's my source of power can be my pain at times. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. You know, I, I think that's what I would love for, you know, students of color in whatever career field, you know, you don't have to be in the law to be successful or to create the change you want to see, but understand that your pain has a purpose. And if you hold on to it, like a grudge, you're poisoning yourself. You're not empowering anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's, you know, and that's where I come with it in terms of how I got to the military. I, there is this factor about me that wants to protect and to defend. And, you know, I've never, I don't pray for war. I understand to an extent we have to prepare for it. But, you know, to give the people behind me a better chance, I think I, I that's all I want. So that's me. That That is the whole reason why we started this podcast. And that's why Anna is the perfect person to be on this podcast is because mm-hmm. the three of us women are women from different types of backgrounds, which makes us non-traditional. And we are people of color and we're females. And we have things that 
pushed us to yep. want to be here because we do have this fire inside of us. We have this like innate like need to protect and defend yep. other people because of the things that we've seen, because of the things that we've experienced. And yep. it hit a trigger with me because that's how I feel. Yep. I, f- I feel like I have to protect my family, the people that I care about, all the stuff that I've seen and experienced myself. Yep. And a lot of the time we can't share this kind of stuff because it's seen as maybe like, um, uh, like yeah, or like when you watch American Idol and then you see people's like sob stories in order yep. to get on the show. Like that's not what it is. That is exactly who we are and that is why we came to the table. And so it's like, I love hearing this kind of stuff because I ask other people who are traditional law students and I ask them why they came to school and they give me something along the lines. Well, well, my, my grandma said that I can only access my, my trust if I get a professional degree. And sometimes yep. I feel like I can't share my story on all the triggers of why I have to be here because there's right. that lack of understanding. No one else is really going to get me and why I feel so passionate about what I'm trying to do. So thank you so much for sharing that kind of stuff because people need to know that there there, there are reasons why oh, yeah. people want to go into the field of law. It's not just a, oh, we decided to go to school, mm-hmm. you know? You know, I will say this. Uh, for a long time, I felt very protective over my story. I felt like if I even got a hint that someone couldn't handle me, I would just close myself off. And I, I, I won't forget, I had this chaplain when I was deployed in the Middle East. And he said, you know, sometimes the only way breakthrough comes through is through vulnerability and obedience. And, you know, for me, the reason why I can have hope today is because the problem is not that everybody's talking. The mm-hmm. problem starts when people stop talking. Mm-hmm. When you feel like you have nothing to say or share or try to wrestle with, you know, um, that's when we should be worried. The fact that people want to talk over each other, um, that's that's a matter of civility. And we, we can solve that over time. But, you know, people expressing um, their stories and, and this desire to, to feel like the people we're expressing ourselves to, that we can trust them to hold our story, that's something that has to be developed over time. You know, I, I often felt like, oh, my gosh, I just can't say anything mm-hmm. to anybody. But, you know, I often wonder if that's the case because no one has taught them how to be trusted. So for me, you know, in, a, in an educational or educator role, as, as I've come to realize that that's something I want to pursue, I have to be willing to give my story consistently and help people learn how to hold it. If, if that's what they want, you know, I realize that not everybody's going to want that. Some people are going to be like, great, that was, that was a beautiful story. Now I'm on to the next thing. Um, but, you know, some people have to be taught how to hold those things. And, and that's why I like this podcast, because it's very diverse. And, you know, sometimes I've laughed so hard. And sometimes, you know, I'm like, wow, that, that brought me down to the point where I can be humble enough to think, where does my story fit in something like that with whatever the speaker is saying? Cause sometimes it resonates, but you know, I think that's what it means to be content in all things and to try and trust and to be vulnerable, you know? So I, I totally get what you're saying, KJ. I just sometimes take it a bit further because I know people are capable of more. It's just, have they been given an opportunity to be pushed to that more? And some people feel burnt out because they're like, it's not my responsibility, but you know, somebody's got to, Absolutely. you know, if you have it to give to push somebody who wants to be pushed, I can do that. 
you know, so didn't mean to get off track, but no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, right that, on that track. Is not- yeah, you are on track. Honestly, I think you doing that just kind of like inspires me and motivates me right now being vulnerable. So I think there's sometimes mm-hmm. when I, you know, maybe I put on uh, too much of a happy face and too strong of a front to mm-hmm. let people know where all this stuff comes from. Right. You know, like and, mm-hmm. and people make assumptions about the way that I am because I always choose to um, showcase, happy. yeah, the joyful yeah. side of me, but yep. have no idea. Uh, like that I went through stage four cancer, that wow. I've been drugged and abducted. A lot of people don't know lots of stuff about yeah. me, but you know, like that, that's what pushes me at the end of the day. Those are the thoughts mm-hmm. that go through my head, you know? Yeah. So I'm very happy that you said that because you've already affected me. You've <laughs> already taught me, you know, that I need to step it up and I have to be more vocal about it because then that empowers other people to do the same. And that's the only way that we can really see change or betterment in this society is is people being honest about that kind of stuff. So, Well, you know, I would even push back against the narrative of step it up. I I notice amongst the people of color, especially my time on active duty, we've been told to step it up, uh, shut up in color, uh, you know, uh, make it happen. do more. And I think the thing that really gets me is while the, all those things sound really, really, really good, it, it's really hard to do because sometimes maybe it's not do more, but it's do less and the less that you're doing, be better at it. <laughs> you know? Or do what you can do and yes, do that to the best of your ability. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. And, and, you know, sometimes being better just means being open to better not that it's something that you have to cultivate within yourself because that's exhausting because sometimes you know we don't have all the tools we might need to to do what we want to do as in like being better um but you know just being open to the idea of like there's more to glean here there's more to do here and you know um kj what freed me was I, i i i go to therapy i think i'll be in therapy for the rest of my life um I don't know the answer to everything. And sometimes it's just great to have someone who can balance you um, before you just jump off the deep end. Um, like I, I'm a type A person. And I have a Leslie note mentality. So sometimes I tend to just go, yeah. you know, my binders have binders. And uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I just need someone to kind of help ground me. And, you know, I had a therapist one time tell me that I am not responsible for results, but I am responsible for efforts. And so, Right. Once I heard that and started trying to figure out how that would work in real life, you know, I'm not responsible for what people do with my story or, you know, if they were to have a certain response to it. But I am responsible if I do feel called to share it with someone. I am responsible to the effort that I give it. And I think that's liberated me from feeling like you have to understand my story. You have to like I need you to have like some sort of connection with it. I want to I want to make sure that it's delivered into the right hands. I'm not saying tell everybody your story obviously we have to use some sort of wisdom Mm -hmm. yes but you know I I think I've just over the years through therapy I've just gotten free with you know just understanding that like all I'm responsible for is the effort what you take with the skills and the gifts that I have that Mm -hmm. is beyond my realm of trying to psychoanalyze I'm no longer concerned um you know I I can't do that you'll drive yourself crazy I'll drive myself crazy so yeah that's where I'm at with that. I, I, maybe we can kind of tie this into like the state of like law and law school right now. But um, 
Mm-hmm. How do you use that discretion with your your story, with your inspiration, and seeking out mm-hmm. mentors and people in the space? And you can mm-hmm. obviously speak to it before COVID hit and now, like your adjustment. How how mm-hmm. how do you find that? So you know, in my military career, just just a disclaimer, I. I'm not speaking for all veterans. Matter of fact, I'm speaking as a Haitian African American um, military service member, veteran ish, however you want to classify that. And I'm speaking of a time when I served between 2012 and up until 2019. I'm speaking as a, a female who served in a 99.99% male dominated maintenance career field. There's my perspective. I'm speaking as someone who has deployed so much and been all over the place. Um, so that's, that's where my perspective is coming from. I don't want someone to hear this podcast and think she's speaking oh, for no. every mm-hmm. single, you know, black female veteran or service member. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm coming from a very, 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 very narrow mm-hmm. scope. And so in that little scope, I've just had to learn that first and foremost, not everything needs my verbal affirmation, okay? There are some things that have been said in the classroom that could have gone by without everybody and their brother trying to get their verbal stamp of approval on it, mm-hmm. okay? Like, just sometimes you just have to, I had to learn that not everything needs my verbal approval um, and just have that wisdom of like, okay, is this something I can speak to? If yes, is it something I'm comfortable being challenged about? Because I, I feel like, once you get into the classroom and you assert a position that opens you up to being challenged. And if you're not strong in your assertion or your belief or whatever it is that you're asserting, or you're emotionally triggered when someone tries to like uh, challenge you, then that can go poorly. Um, You can come across as having like a bad attitude, someone who's not well prepared, someone who doesn't like pushback, someone who is kind of bratty in the sense of like, well, I said what I said, and that's the truth. That's my truth. And I don't like it when people, they must not like me if they want to push back on what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that sense, some folks are not mature enough to be wrong or be uncertain. And I think in the military, Um, I've just learned early on to shut up in color. And that means like sometimes you don't like what you're doing or sometimes you don't like the activity that's happening. But guess what? Nobody's asking you if you like it. Somebody's telling you we need you to get the mission done. That means you put aside your personal feelings. You put aside how you think it should be. You complete the task. You get everybody home safe. And then if you still have grievances, find someone safe to constructively vent about it. But in that exact moment where there's like a sensitive conversation or some type of delegation happening, that is not it, which leads me into the next point of time and place. You know, sometimes you have to be able to read the room. And if you are so in love with the idea of law school that you fail to equip yourself for the journey, you're going to have a horrible time. You are. You're gonna be so you're so romanticized about when I get there, I'm gonna do this, and when I get there, I'm gonna do this. That you might miss all the little tips and things that you need to put in your tool bag for when you do get there. And one of those tools is reading the room, knowing who your audience is. If you particularly notice there's a group of people that aren't very open minded and that all they want to do is become they're very argumentative at the slightest bit of pushback, then maybe 
inserting your comments, although it may be valid, will only create lost time because people want to nitpick and argue the tiny little points that have nothing to do with the overall rule that the professor is trying to help you glean. Um, So, and that's why I always push for have a smaller circle. Sometimes you're in a classroom with like 60 to 70 students and you can't get as intimate um, in a room that size Mm -hmm. as you can Mm -hmm. with, you know, four or five good friends who are all understanding that sometimes you just need to wrestle with the content and wrestling with the content doesn't mean that we're fighting each other. It just means we're pushing back on, you know, maybe one thing we've learned in particular that we don't agree with, especially as a, as a black person, when I went through property and, you know, we were talking about, you know, the importance of that. Look, I'm going to tell y'all, I had this moment, we were in a study group and my favorite thing in the world, I was like, how black do I have to get today? <laughs> From Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high to Samuel L. Jackson, where everybody can be MF. How black do, and then when I said that, I, I was literally asking, how right, real can right. I be? Are we just going to gloss over this stuff and I'm going to hit you with the feel good so that you can feel good about the history of property law? Or can we talk about right. the real stuff? Can, can we take it there? And, and you just got to know that some people are not comfortable going there. Some people literally want Michelle Obama. They they want the cute package becoming warm and fuzzy, you know? And then some people like me, I want the abrasive truth. Don't sugarcoat nothing. Don't, don't try to make it better than what it is. Don't try to put no Instagram filters mm-hmm. on it. Cute hashtag. Don't do that. Just give it to me real raw and be done with it. Don't beat it over a dead horse. And I think that being in the military, there's this concept of breaking you down, not to hurt you, but to build you up. And that's because sometimes we need to shed some exterior things that are not productive for where we're going or what we're Mm -hmm. trying to do. And so in that sense, I, I hear a lot about, you know, students joining like a complaining brigade, and that's the rated G version of that terminology. But, you know, I think in law school, it's only hard because for some, it's the first time they're receiving the immediate consequences of what they do Mm -hmm. or don't do. You know, they might have been able to hide behind a group or who their mom or daddy is or, Mm -hmm. you know, fluff and stuff degree where there wasn't really such a strict curriculum. You know, some of the degrees could have been like independent or whatever. But in law school, either it is or it isn't. And you need to either do what they're asking you to do and you need to do it efficiently or you don't do that and you don't get what you thought you deserve. So, um, you know, for me, there's a lot of crossover between how to talk to people, how to navigate your spaces, how to learn if people are for you or not in the same way that you navigate the military world. You know, you have to be able to, um, especially um, in the military world, the first thing you do in a situation where you're trying to get um, first aid is you got to check to see if the scene is safe. And I feel like every time I go into law school, Unfortunately, I have to check to see if the scene is safe. I have to check if, mm-hmm. you know, they're... Same thing in the medical field. That's what they tell you. You can't start a CPR if you're in a burning fire because both of y'all gonna burn in that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to discern. Having a, the skill of discernment mm-hmm. is a really big thing. You'll save yourself so much trouble if you can just read the room, read the audience in front of you, 
just read in general, folks. Mm-hmm. Just prepare for a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Oh, and to, to the second part, what it would be like pre-COVID versus post-COVID. Um, I would say that it gets harder post-COVID because you're having to read people through a computer screen. And sometimes technology lags and you don't know if the facial expression you're getting is because of what you said or if they're on Reddit or Imgur or Pinterest or Netflix or whatever. So you never really know how to interpret what what's happening in the yeah. zoom room around you. But you know, one thing that's always served me is just to do quick follow ups, you know, like, hey, I was in this group, and I don't really know if I got the concepts, you know, just approaching it as humble and um, graciously as you can, because sometimes technology does cause another degree of separation. Um, and we're very fortunate to continue school online, even though that wouldn't right. have been the preferred mes- the method, method. But, you know, just it is. It is. You know, we have to do our part. And um, all I'm saying is don't raise that tuition law. <laughs> don't raise it. <laughs> Look, give me the 3%. Man. Lord Jesus. That's another, oh talk about another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Financially. I think that is one of the harder things about being a non-traditional student, too, is because we're, we're used to having, like, in- incomes and all these other things that we have to, like, scale back now that we're back in school. You know, and like, and then schools forget to take that into consideration when assessing like our financial needs. You know, like a lot of our, our colleagues, like they still have their parents sending them toothpaste and like writing checks for tuition when we have have already incurred bills, whether that's like mortgages or just even your cell phone bill, anything like that. Girl. Yeah. You know, for me, it's like, um, you know, I I love the military because it's made me super humble. But one thing that's really killing me right now, um, and these are champagne problems, might I add you, because, you know, my family having that um, developing country, I hate that that's the term now, but it's developing country. Um, You know, I, I have cousins who are currently living in a different situation than I am. So anything, any complaint that I have compared to what they're going through, absolute champagne problems. But you know, the cost of living in Seattle is outrageous. And, you know, having to, coming from the military where they give you a housing stipend, they give you a housing allowance, they give you a food allowance, um, they give you a clothing allowance um, yearly when you go through another year of service um, or making rank. How is it? And they've even figured out the issue of equal pay between men and women. So mm-hmm. figure that out, America. But, um, you know, what kills me is that you go into the civilian world and I'm like, how are these how are we supposed to work a job in the community that's like nine dollars and some change an hour? I don't even know what it is anymore. Forgive me. But mm-hmm. how are we supposed to do that or not be able to do that and go to school full time? just to get out and have to relearn everything. Because as you know, what you learn in school is different from what you mm-hmm. learn on the job. Right. So, you know, for some, this is a huge sacrifice in which they have to forego, you know, um, making income yearly mm-hmm. so that they can make it through the three year or four year program, depending on whether you go part time or full time mm-hmm. while having a family behind them mm-hmm. or having some sort of, um, you know, an added layer of need. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was pretty, it's pretty crazy to me because, you know, COVID forced a lot of folks to understand that they need assistance from food banks. And one thing about me is I Mm -hmm. am humble enough to, to be happy to receive help. So I'd been going to the food bank way before COVID had hit just because, you know, there were some unanticipated financial things that came my way as I exited the military 
and relocated for school. So, you know, it was a very shaw shocking moment uh, or awe shocking moment when people were in the line for the food banks. You know, people knew me by first name. They're like, oh, hey, girl, how are you doing? How's law school? What'd you learn in contracts? Is it, did it work out for you? Okay. Was your midterm okay? <laughs> and, you know, they're just like, I'm like, yes, honey, we all need help, you know, and bless those that have benefits and the, like the familial support to make it through that. But, you know, there is a, there is a drop and you feel it the day you separate from the military and you go into the civilian world, there is, and as much as you prepare for it, cause you try to make it like a seamless transition. Mm-hmm. I feel like some folks in the minority and people of color community can feel the, the drop in support when they make the decision to yeah. go through this professional program, you know, because not a lot of people in their immediate familial um, support network or network in general mm-hmm. have anyone who knows what it's like to go through this process. So a lot of it is you're having to navigate, make mistakes that probably could have been prevented if you knew somebody or had someone to kind of guide you through the process. Right. So, you know, and that's true in leaving or entering the military versus, you know, getting into to the law field, you know, having someone to, t- to tell you or to kind of help you figure out how to do it better than what they had it, that that's priceless. You can't, you can't put a price on that. So getting the information you need before you get into it and then right. feel those growing pains, which cannot be alleviated a hundred percent. I just want to say it, it cannot it, it be does, alleviated hundred percent. Hold on. It doesn't help, but I mean, it doesn't hurt, but it does help to a certain extent. And back to what you're saying about you being yep. the first person in your family to um, pursue an advanced degree, you know, just being that mm-hmm. first person, it's it's always going to be hard. You know, you never want to be the first person to do mm-hmm. anything because you set the standard <laughs> and everyone's going to be looking at you. Oh, well, honestly, um, honestly, you know, with my family, um, we had a falling out when I joined the military because uh, you know, my parents are very traditional in the sense that women are homemakers and husbands, you know, they go out and support in that traditional role. Well, I didn't want that. Um, I guess I've always just been me and defiant and forging my own path, whether that's, you know, getting married or not. I felt like I could, Haitians sometimes can have different ideas about what they, what kinds of better they want for their kids. And military was never in line with that, um, which is fine. Um but, you know, my thing is, in my family, we've come to an agreement where they might not have liked that I was the first, but I cannot be the last. I think that's where we're at. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to get there because I have four nephews and two nieces. And, you know, when I think about how they're going to grow up, my life can be an example of you can do anything. Anything you want, as long as you're willing to put in the work and look a little crazy. Because I think as the first to navigate it, you know, there have been times where I've come home, um, you know, on Haitian holiday. And they're like, girl, I I just can't figure out what you're doing. (laughs) I see you going this one way and then you do this other thing. And I just don't know how they connect. And I'm like, keep watching. If you you can't help, if, if you... You can't get it. Just keep watching because the story's not done being written. And so, you know, I really think about nieces and nephews that are looking up as the story's unfolding. And I think for them, they need to know that this is not a linear process by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think when they get old enough to have that conversation, I'll really have something 
tangible and something a little more deeper to give them in terms of, you know, soul searching about what are, what it is that they feel they're meant to do with their time here. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I just, I encourage students of color to understand that it's not a linear process. You know, sometimes your families might think it's crazy for you to be in the library as much or, you know, to really feel strict with your time and your boundaries and explaining your journey. But that's, it'll all make sense as we get closer yeah. to where we want to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my, mm-hmm. That's my, my belief sister anyway. called me at 6.30 in the morning. And I'm like, why are you calling me this early? She's like, because every time I try to call you, you're busy studying. I'm like, yeah, this is the time I get to sleep. She's like, well, I need to tell you something. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes my uh, my mom wants me to be married so bad and I have to keep telling her my books and I are in a loving committed (laughs) monogamous relationship right now and so I'll let her know when we break up but I don't see that happening she's like you're ridiculous you talk about relationships my grandmother called me the other day Uh and Uh she was like I'm praying for your condition. I said, what condition, Grandma? I'm not sick. <laughs> she said, you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready. Hey, I think we got the same grandma. I'm like, uh, that's not a condition, Grandma. I'm in school. <laughs> I'm in law school. <laughs> She said, you should be married by now. Yes. I'm like, okay, well, continue to pray for my condition of being a student. And stay with me. I will be delivered. <laughs> delivered. Well, you know, yeah. you know, it was like that for me, too, when I got in the military, you know, because everybody's like, oh, when you get in, you're going to find somebody and you're going to settle down. And, you know, my thing is, when I got in the military, I changed so much that what I thought I liked, I didn't even like six months after I got in. So, and that's my thing about law school too. It's that, you know, you're going through so many changes, how, how to think, what you think. For me, it, law school has changed me in the sense that I have a deeper, I feel I have a deeper responsibility to educating myself about American history since it isn't always portrayed accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, not at all. Not at all. Um, or, you know, to, to- Involuntary employment. That was Texas when, on their rendition of what slavery was, involuntary oh, employment. Oh, you let a, you let a. <laughs> In the textbooks. <laughs> uh, Texas, there's one Texan publisher that said that uh, slaves were entrepreneurs and that we came <laughs> seeking opportunity. And I was like, sir, I don't know that this is the opportunity we had in mind at all, period, actually. I don't think, um, you know, I just felt a deeper responsibility to educating myself and, you know, relationships are the last thing on my mind. I'm like, if, if you're not a law librarian with some answer that I need, I'm probably not going to be what your name is. I'm probably, it's probably not going to happen. Probably not. You know, I, 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 um, I'm still a little hopeful. Um, I hope for you. I'm hopeful. Well, the thing is, is you can't say I, I'm not going to be in a relationship for all of law school. Cause I mean, you, you never know somebody, somebody might, come along but it has to be a special person you can try. and and i think i think you know i'm very hopeful that that person is available uh, hopefully in my third year but um girl but they I, I i don't don't shut off your opportunities because like somebody will get what get what you need and get I'm where just, you're coming from i'm just saying that like you know listen to our love episode i did i did i did but, like sometimes it does have help to have someone who knows what you're going through. I think the thing that gets me is that 
you know, in my time of service, we were so gainfully employed. You know, we were um, TDY, which is like a temporary duty where you go somewhere else and you, you hang out there. I say hang out, but that's not what I mean. I mean, you, you work there for a while um, and then you come back home and then you can repeat that process several times. And, you know, for me, I've always been a priorities person. Not to say that love isn't a priority. I just don't think it's a right now priority. And I think like of all the military families I've met and had the pleasure of being mentored by and being in their presence, you know, the number one thing they talk about is like how to love in different directions, because, you know, you could be tasked to go halfway around the world and your heart has to stay in whatever state, you know, you were stationed to. And I feel like that's kind of how it is with the law. You could, you know, you could have one vision for yourself of how you want to go and and be called to this once in a lifetime opportunity and it's in constant conflict with, you know, the, the love that you have that might be going a different direction, you know. And it's nothing that you can forecast to a degree. Um, and it's something that, you know, you have to constantly nurture and balance. And I, I just don't have the stamina to to do that. Nor do I have the gumption to want to do that, which is really odd for someone is like me to say, you know, I think it goes against what my family would want. They would want me to be excited and encouraged about it. But all I feel right now is exhausted. And I think that, you know, when partnership comes along, which is what I'm looking for, maybe I'll have more skill and more um, tenacity to want to entertain it. But right now I'm just like, this ain't it, Chief. And I don't think it should be, I don't think you should, I don't, well, maybe I'm, I don't think what you're looking for, partnership by all means is what you deserve, what we all deserve, Mm -hmm. right? We need someone who's going to add to our lives, not Mm -hmm. take away or put an an added burden on us. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how we got to this topic, but I just feel like if it is the right person and it's the right situation, it shouldn't be something that you are constantly fighting for. And mm-hmm. it should be something that you're constantly working towards. Mm-hmm. It should work. Mm-hmm. And I'm just speaking from experience because, you know, both my sisters, they started off as long distance relationships. Mm-hmm. My brother-in-law was stationed or not stationed. He was an engineer. He worked in Norway for a year. Wow. And <laughs> she was here in Houston and they talked to every day. Mm-hmm. They made it work. That's what I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. It's like the right person, you'll make it work for the right person. Yeah. And you can have a, some wacko down the street who, <laughs> Never who, who's anyway. convenient and close, but Crazy. you know, it's just because it's there. Yeah. yeah. And that just sucks the life out of you. Yeah. Or you can have someone cross the ocean who just rocks your world. Yeah. So I, all I'm saying is just like, obviously protect yourself mm-hmm. by all means, protect your heart, but at the same time, leave a little bit open for mm-hmm. the possibility of that wonderful person who you deserve, you we all deserve to come into our life eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I can see that. And I think it's good to have both perspectives, like um, be open to what might come, but then also like um, assess what your priorities are at the moment and what's going to help you get to where you want to be. So like, I'm kind of right in the middle of both of you. Like I know that I probably should be doing what Anna's talking about and not think about it so much, but I also want to have that hope that Anna is talking about that. Hey, you know what, if it does come around Mm -hmm. and it fits, then Hey, let it happen. It it might really fit. So, well, 
It might not come. Yeah. Girl. It might not come. Yeah. But, oh, but law school, law school for sure, because these tuitions ain't no joke. That should be our priority. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying yeah. is well, leave your mind open for a sugar daddy. I'm just joking. <laughs> you, oh, my Lord. <laughs> that little delay. Oh, my Lord. Someone has to pay this tuition. Uh, sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, all that to say, you know, the the... The concept that I um, wish I had remembered before coming to law school um, and how what we've been talking about ties in is this idea of a work-life balance. That was my next question. <laughs> um, well, I didn't really know um, how work-life was going to look in law school because, you know, in the military, I went from working my, my, with my hands and being on my feet, you know, 28-8. And uh, or twenty five eight, you know, and never sitting down in a desk for long experience, like long extended periods of time, or being wow. around people who always want to talk about what you just got out of, and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to have to, I don't want to go through this. Okay, like we just took that test, let, let's just leave it in the classroom. But you know, some people really want to verbalize what they just went through, and. Um, so, you know, for me, I didn't realize there were so many skills from the military that I was going to have to mm-hmm. employ in the civilian world. And I'm so glad, so glad I was on duty long enough to know the importance of that, um, such as like work-life balance and not to be so mission-minded that I forget to enjoy my friends and family. Um, and for those who are single like myself, you know, your family can be anyone who has adopted you into taking you in to create um, the, the little close-knit familial care that you get. It doesn't have to be someone who's blood. Um, pretty much for me, if you look at me and smile and I know you can cook and you have good conversation, you shouldn't have showed me where you live. You didn't want me to be in your life. That's your <laughs> fault. Oh, that's what you should have done. Because now I'm going to be, you know, all about connecting and um, you know, working through that, but that was one skill that I learned. And then, um, another one was just self-care, 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 self-care. If you hear nothing from this podcast, please hear the word self-care. Um, and mm-hmm. self-care for me, I'm not girly, so I don't really got an episode about that too. Oh, mm-hmm. I know. Episode six. I know. <laughs> I, I wish I would have referenced the episode so I could tell people to go back. And um, but for me, I'm not a very girly person. I mean, I'm like allergic to nail polish, so I don't, my, my nails are always short and nothing on it. And I still work on my truck and stuff and do home improvements. So there's no point. Um, but you know, for me, idea of meditating, and I'm not talking about meditation in the sense of, um, I'm not talking about that. Um, new sense of meditation, like what can you smell? Name three things that you can see. Name five things that you can hear. Um, what does it feel like when you press your feet up against the floor? And that really is just bringing you wherever your mind has wandered off to into the current moment to be fully present. And that's, that's what's exhausting is that sometimes you get so overwhelmed that you want to take a mental vacation and you can't, um, you just can't afford it. So, or you could, it's just going to be very costly and you're probably not going to like the result. So self-care was a really, really big thing. And then the last thing I learned that I, well, last thing that I wish I had remembered before coming to law school mm-hmm. was that um, I can handle rejection. I can handle it. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, when I go in and I don't 
you know, say I did well, but because of the curve, I ended up in a less desirable position because it does happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, oh. but then I remembered there was a chaplain who would always say to me, Anna, eat the meat and throw away the bones. Don't get so caught up on what you missed that you forget what you got right. Mm-hmm. Because you can either you can either play the short game and lose out in the end, or you can play the long you play the long game and maybe it feels like you're suffering on the short end, but you're going to be good to go by the end of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I keep telling myself I can handle not yet. I can handle you missed it. I can handle these. I can handle it. And I think that I learned in the military that I wish I would have taken time to remember before I came coming to law school. And the last thing I'll say is know that you were chosen. Know mm-hmm. that out of all the applicants, this wasn't a mistake. This wasn't like, oops, I didn't mean to hit accept, but here we are. That is not that. This is a very deliberate, intentional, on purpose, for a purpose decision. And so if you're here, that means you have everything you need and you'll get some to get through. And for the people that are still trying to get in, you know, don't think that because you have to try, try, try again, nobody wants you. You must not have the skills made you miss it means that you're equal to nothing now that's not true um Mm -hmm. keep trying again yeah in here Mm -hmm. all right well um got one last wrap-up question for you before we wrap this up um and it's a fun it's not law related but what do you what do you wish to do or what can you not wait to do once outside is open Mm -hmm. (laughs) well see this is hard for me because i'm a homebody (laughs) yeah i um I this summer I am going back to Alaska, and so fishing's been open though, so I can I can do that. Um, I think I just like to go camping, but I can do that right now anyway. Um, okay. So yeah, that's always been a hard question for me because people are like, "What can't you wait to do?" So you don't want outside to be open. You you you're cool right now, girl. I can get on the highway and be where I need to be in ten minutes or less. Y'all stay home, please stay home. <laughs> Y'all, I, I can't promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be in somebody's club I will scrubbing say, the floor. I will say that uh, sorry. I, I play sorry. hockey, and so I <laughs> would like hockey to be open. Oh, nice. Um, but other than that, I can't think of a single thing, really. I feel like I have all that I need, and all that I need is what I should have. So <laughs> I'm grateful. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you so much. That was a wonderful conversation. Yeah. I don't even feel like an episode. It just felt like you're just talking on the phone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I do love, I that. love it. Yeah. There's a lot of great takeaways. I feel like you need to write a book of like Anna isms for real. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Just thank you once again. Yeah. Thank you. Agreeing to be on the podcast, girl. Yes. Oh, my you. A1. That was really oh, sorry, good. Thank you for having me. Uh, KJ, how can the people find us? Oh, yeah. So please re- uh, make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Two Legit Podcasts. And um, again, we're on Spotify, uh, Google, and Apple iTunes. So thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, Anna. Bye. Bye. Thanks, ladies. Bye-bye. Bye.